I am not good with drugs. I have lost my mind so many times. I am the person sitting in the corner that people have to rescue because I'm like kind of weeping or like can't, like thing. I'm sitting there thinking, I think I need to go to the toilet, but I have I just been to the toilet? Or do I need, like I've completely lost or rational kind of ability. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. So now that you're going out and you're doing like book events, but you're playing some music as well, right? I understand. How how is that to come like full circle and connection with people? Do you do you enjoy it? So all the book events I've done, I've uh I've been interviewed by completely different people at everything. It just becomes a chat like this is. Right. And you know, I have had like mates going, Oh God, have you got another book event? Like, oh, it's quite hard work, isn't it? And I'm like, so isn't. I'm literally <laughs> sitting there fucking talking about myself for like an hour. Yeah. No, it's not hard. And chatting with someone who's being really fucking nice to me and yeah. asking me questions. And you know what I mean? Oh, no, I do, it's I fucking do. great. I do. I do. People <laughs> ask me the same question and I would say, What's what's hard about it? I, I'm going out there talking about a book I wrote about myself so I know all the things and the questions the answers to the questions what's hard about it is great fun yeah but people ask some really do you ever have like you ever like a Q&A question session with the people at the that have come to see you because I did some yeah. of those right and they're they're really interesting I mean I found after a while there was like three or four questions that people always asked but then there's some other ones that are like really interesting, different, and they're the most fun part of the whole whole event, really. I mean, there is the risk of the the question that isn't a question. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I saw you play. La la la. This happened to me. Da 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 da. da gets to the end. No question. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> You're like, okay, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had a, had a few of those. I, I did a thing out in in Cleveland at the the. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, I did like a an event, and they filmed it. And one guy got up and just did exactly that. He just went on this whole sort of description about how he felt about everything and what he'd seen, and that. And at the end, there was no question. We're just like, okay, next one. You know, that's it. That's all you can do. You can't. What are you going to say to it? You know, it was very funny. Yeah. Well, and and we've played a bit of music at some of them. Yeah. Um, which is a little bit weird. So. I can't remember how it... Oh, I'll tell you what. It came up because the first one I did, which was just before the book was even written, um, I did a thing at The Social in London and, and oh, God, Ted said, um, oh, can you play a bit of music? And I was like, oh, God, all right, okay. So I had to go with a guitar and just sort of talk and I tried to put something together and I don't know, you'd have to ask someone who went, but I just thought... It was awful. I mean, it wasn't really, but it was just not my comfort zone. You know, I right. just don't, I'm not someone who can sit there with a guitar and fucking break into song. You right. know what I mean? Right. So 
I just thought if there's going to be a music element, which is nice, mm. then I kind of want it to be a little band. So, you know, Moose, my partner, um, is playing and we've got Ollie who's in on bass. So we're, we're sort of doing this thing. Anyway, we're playing these Lush songs. And again, I feel sort of it's fine because it's in support of the book. Right. Like there's a point where it becomes naff. Right. If we start doing headline shows and I'm playing Lush songs, then it's like crossing a, a boundary. Right. Yeah. So while it's the book, that's fine. Yeah. But I think we're sort of looking at maybe writing now that we're all in a room together, we might as well start writing stuff. So but I quite like the nebulousness of it. You know, I'm not very good at talking about things until I'm actually doing them. So I haven't got a lot of detail to give you, but um, I think one of the liberating things about not being in a massively successful band is that because you don't earn any fucking money doing it, is that it does mean you can just do what the hell you like because it doesn't really make any difference. And yeah. there isn't that kind of desperate treadmill to keep your yeah. profile up and keep the money coming in. So... I'm just going to toy with that for a while and see what happens. <laughs> As you get older, all of that stuff, you know, that sort of intensity. We, we were talking with, uh, who do we have on? Terry Nunn about, from Berlin. That was like one of our first guests. And she said that she missed all this stuff back in the day because all she was doing was racing to get to the next important thing, the next important thing, you know. And like now we don't have to do that. There's not the pressure to do that, you know. So... It, it kind of liberates you as well. I mean, it is a bit virtue out of necessity. I don't want it to become a kind of, you know, I envy us kind of conversation, but right. it's that kind of, you know, you go like, I can't imagine being in a, a band where it's like, I mean, I suppose the world has changed as well. You know, there isn't mm. that kind of record company of like, right, you know, it's going to be single album tour, blah, blah, blah. This is when we need the next album. It's got right. to be a bigger name producer. There's an upward tra trajectory right. that has to be adhered to and followed. And, you know, it, I do think as fun as that ride can be, and it certainly is the first time round, it's exciting. It ends up sucking the life out of what you're actually trying to do. So I don't miss that aspect of it. That that is the dilemma, and you 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 put that so succinctly in in, in the book. I think it really it, it was it, I found it it was like um an emotional ride because you reminded me a lot of how it goes after the point that 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 lush stopped. You know, we, we you described something where everything had changed. You were, you were sensing that no matter what you did, it was just out of step somehow. Mm. And I was thinking, that's exactly the way we felt. Yeah, We would never express it, but we were just aware of it. We actually, when Susie and I and the band had stopped and we thought, okay, we go to the creatures now because that's what we, we could do, just two of us. But it was like, is there anybody out there even interested? And so we were kind of just like, okay, we'll take an offer. We'll go on the road with... John Cale because we probably need him but the opposite was kind of true um, 
But it was just that. There was no kind of surety anymore. You have this like high rise and everything's, everything's just escalating. Strength to strength. The next hurdle. And then it was just that big game change somewhere. For us, it was uh, early 90s. We were doing our last album as a band, and it, it was just that, that the record company was kind of pulling away, but not saying anything. And then for the first time, I remember we had like four people in the studio going like, where's the single? <laughs> right. And we'd never had that, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's a strange, you know, area that we operate, we've all operated in. It's like life without a safety net, you know. There is no, you know, gold watch at, at 60, you know, because you, you haven't done a great job, you know. It's mm. just you go and buy your own stuff. When when I did I did a, a, a tour in South America for my book, and, you know, publishing companies are even worse than record companies. They're not going to pay anything, you know, tour support. That's not going to happen, right? So, you know, I thought, well, how am I going to fund my way around this place? And, and a couple of the, the better arts festivals said, well, we'll, we'll – fly you down here and stuff you know and put you in a hotel but then there's a couple of places i couldn't you know do anything so we we got this plan i was like okay there's got to be a cure cover band in every one of these towns that we're playing <laughs> you know and and so they sent me all like um you know youtube videos of themselves and i, and I picked the one that looked like the most likely and then it was i felt like chuck berry you know i said I would turn up at at this venue, never done the sound check, rehearsal, nothing, you know, and we just bash our way through five songs. And from doing that, you know, that paid for the whole tour. So Oh bless. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. It's very strange. Mickey, is Justin in the band? Justin is in uh, well, no, Justin's not in the band. In the in the 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 little band. Because, like, trying to drag a drum kit around. Sorry, drummers. No, I know. But it's a fucking pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> we just yeah. chose the wrong career, you know. The reason I wanted to be a drummer because it had so many bits. I liked all those bits and screws and nuts and bolts. I wanted to build things. Then I realized guitarists just put the guitar in the case. I'm not being funny. I liked all the bits as well. Yeah. You just put the guitar in the case and go to the bar. I was very adept at, at putting up a drum kit, so... After years of touring with Chris, so music stands, music stands, and cymbal stands—not a lot of difference. Yeah. No, Justin. I remember I have I fond memory of Justin when he was in Elastica. Same guy, right? Justin, Justin Welch. Mm, absolutely. I went up to the, this rehearsal place in not in Camden Town, wherever it was. It wasn't Easy Hire. It wasn't John Henry's. It was the other one that was kind of new. And I was on my own because I was I was like trying to put the creatures together. I had no crew just me and I walked into the canteen and Justin and the other guy who had just joined Elastica was from Manchester. I think he was, he was a keyboard player with a fall and they both went, Oh, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. And I was going, huh? Who are, who are these guys? And it was Justin. We, we, we met a, well, they were trying desperately to do their second album and it was just taking forever. Oh, the difficult second album, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think they had all sorts of madness going on in that band as well, you know. Um, yeah, nothing that I can really go on the record with saying, unfortunately. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I, I sort of think with Elastica that, that 
it's such an interesting story and I do wish one of them would write it all up actually um I'd read that book because I think it was so compressed you know yeah like you know yes they played like small gigs but for like two months right (laughs) and then you know everything happened like whatever happened in our kind of band trajectories which might have taken a year or two years or you know this is when we did this this is when we did that it was just compressed into the space of like two years you know um from beginning to end actually you know it was just insane and of course no one can survive that really and i think they had like you know some of it was absolutely amazing but it was so fast that i think they struggled to survive it i i just think we're we've all survived amazingly well yeah, yeah, we've all got, got our marbles, more or less, so, you know. I mean, I, I do, you know, I don't know if, you know, what I really felt with a lot of that Britpop stuff, you know, about the machismo of it and yeah. all of that, which, again, I, I don't necessarily put down to the bands, you know. I'm not being funny, but if you actually... I don't know if you have met Blur. They're not a particularly macho band, you know what I mean? But I think that that scene was kind of framed in a way that, you know, again, as a sort of press construct, they pull certain bits out of you and highlight them. And it tells like a, a just a shadow of a story, you know? And I think that certainly when you were both you know, coming up, I'm not saying it wasn't problem-free, but it had a different sort of, maybe less slick, that kind of marketing machine. Right. Because I felt with Britpop, it was, it to me, it still is just a, a press and, you know, kind of record company construct. That's who I see as the brains behind it all. I don't think those bands actually particularly even felt that way at the time that they were part of some flag waving, you know. I know Blur have said that they wrote an album in response to that kind of American, you know, grunge invasion. But I think it was picked up and marketed by you know, people to sort of emphasize that kind of, you know cool britannia stuff right i don't think that was conceived of by any of the bands who were actually involved in it and i think that you know the period that you or certainly when i was listening to your music when i was growing up it feels like a more innocent time in the in the it's more scattergun and and less kind of controlled and and packaged if you know there was there was nothing controlled about what we did i mean you know people tried to but we we managed to avoid it mostly you know and so yeah you're right it was a more innocent time in lots of ways as a as a band we never had vip meet and greet sessions we never saw vip packages but mickey you mentioned uh soho house in london and probably the Grouch Show. I don't think I ever went to the Grouch Show, certainly not in the nighttime. But Soho House, I have not fond memories of. Um, because that was like a VIP 
meet and greet thing, if you like, it, where you could watch people behaving badly, mostly male. <laughs> Not a fun place. I mean, I tell you what. So, so the attraction of it was was when I used to go there. So ninety, I guess ninety four ish. Pubs still shut at eleven. You know what I mean? There came yeah. a point at London where everything was fucking closed. So the idea of being able to get a drink after 11 was quite attractive. Yeah. The fact that you had to spend it, you know, amongst a bunch of utter wankers <laughs> was like yeah. a small price to pay. Small price <laughs> to pay, yes. I do recall later going down to Whitechapel, where around the corner from where, um, oh, what's the guy's names? Um, the two Gilbert artists. And George. Oh, Gilbert and George. Gilbert, Gilbert and George. Go around to their local and hang out with the uh, the you know the guys on the the meat market and. All right. Yeah. Yeah. The market. Yeah. Pub, yeah. Five, five a.m. Well, I do remember a place on Caledonian Road that was, I think, a kind of Turkish place that right. that you could play pool i do remember going there with like spear of destiny i was just a fan but they were going there and i was like oh my god it's spear of destiny you're playing pool in the fucking <laughs> turkish bar in caledonian road yeah. like but so yeah i know what you mean there's like there were kind of if you're in the know there were like little places you could go but trying to gra- drag a sort of and i'm not gonna lie these most of the people i was hanging out with then wouldn't be seen dead somewhere like that like if i suggested that they'd be like okay no <laughs> like we're gonna go to yeah. the fancy soho yeah. house where simon Le Bon is playing the grand piano yeah. and yeah whatever the fuck is going on right. you know what i mean yeah and i sort of you know the point is is that i would go there and think okay fuck it let's go let's have a drink but there was quite a there was quite a who the fuck are you element to that right. place, right. you know, where, you know, I just felt like I don't want to be part of this elite, you know what I mean? And that place is full of people who want that and who emphasise that. And it kind of ruins the vibe, you know, because you either play the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or your your you know that that's the point of that place is to be a kind of elite establishment. I mean, I'm sort of overegging it a bit, but that's the kind of impression I got. No, you're right. You're absolutely you're absolutely right because they have one here and it's the same thing here. Um, but I, I always take that attitude that Groucho Marx had. You know, like I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member. You know, so <laughs> if I always remember that, then it's okay. I can go through a few of those things and not get totally involved in it and not be upset by it either you know see i kind of agree to that to a point right i would say i'm very happy to be a member of a club that has me as a member but not if they're only having me because they think i'm really fucking important (laughs) and that's their (laughs) reason for having me yeah and i think that was just very much the time i think there was a lot of drugs around as well i'm not a big drug taker I am going to tell you my Steve Severin drug anecdote. Okay. <laughs> okay. Please. This is just an example, right? I remember being, I don't know where it was. It might have been the club that you're talking about, right? But I remember I was standing there with Steve and Pam Hogg and he was like, do you want some Coke? And I was like, uh, and Pam was like, yeah. And then 
I went to the toilets with Pam and she let me do all the stuff. Like I, and I just tipped the whole lot onto a toilet. So I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, right? And I was trying to look like I did know what I was doing. And she was just standing there going, okay, maybe not tip the whole lot out. And I was like thinking, oh my God, like, can you just take over? Because I actually don't know what I'm doing, all right? But in those situations, you have to pretend oh, that yeah, you do yeah, know. Yeah. And there's this whole thing around drugs. Like part of the reason why I have always been a boozer, partly because I could take it, but also because it's really simple, right? You go to the bar, you buy a fucking drink, and then you drink it. Drugs are just full of these pitfalls where you are going to get humiliated because you're not rolling it right, you're not chopping them out right. It's the paraphernalia that surrounds it. And people it. love that power. Like, they really fucking snidely remark on people not doing things right. And I just think... I needed to go to like some sort of training course where they show you how to do all this stuff so I could emerge like right. a professional drug taker into the scene and actually like know how to jump through all those hoops, which I couldn't. I used to be good at making making a three skin joint or something, you know, because <laughs> I would sit there all night with the bus drivers. You had bus drivers that would smoke as they were driving because I, well, I thought it's be better than having a beer, right? <laughs> you know, and I, I'd be getting all the seeds out, rolling it, got really good at it. Little twist on the end. And there we go. Another one. Let's get off into the night. There is a positive side to, you know, not knowing how to do any of those things is that you, you stay alive because a lot mm. of, lot of, lot of people that do that stuff are dead. That's true. I mean, I, to be honest, I think the truth is, is that, that drugs and like all drugs, including alcohol, just affect people in very, very different ways. And sure. I think part of the problem with those kind of like music scenes or, or whatever scene is that there's no acknowledgement of that you know it's all kind of everyone's just treated the same like you know and there's peer pressure to keep up yeah, yeah. i am not good with drugs i have lost my mind so many times i am the person sitting in the corner that people have to rescue because i'm like kind of weeping or like can't like thing i'm sitting there thinking i think i need to go to the toilet but i have i just been to the toilet or do I need, like, I've completely lost all rational kind of ability. Right. And I kind of learned quite early on through, I think I had a bit of an, you know, experiences within the music industry where I suddenly thought, actually, I can't do, I just can't do this. It's like, whatever, like, there's people wandering around who have taken twice what I've taken and they are functioning, right? And I'm just this sort of jello mess in the corner who is literally like having a, some sort of crisis, you know, and it's embarrassing. So I just had to sort of sort of duck out from it. But you're right. It's a blessing in disguise yeah. because I did see people who got, you know, really destroyed by yeah. it. I mean, their characters completely changed. We know. We know too many people, right? We know too many a people who are not here and people who, yeah. as you say, destroyed. And I think the thing that I couldn't get over was how there were people I knew who were like really funny and 
interesting and then they they'd be on drugs and it was like they were like yeah. a shell of the person yeah. who they were. Yeah, take takes away a lot of people's personality. But they seemed to think they were having a good time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. What how does it do that? I don't know enough about it to understand I it. Mostly had a good time, but there were times when I wasn't having a good time, but I was hoping I was. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's a good attitude for life, really, hoping yeah. we're having a good time, you know, one way or the other. The lady I remember, and I don't know if you were friends at the time, was Debbie from Echo Valley. Debbie Smith? <laughs> I still see Debbie. She's great. I love her, yeah. Oh, good, good. Because I think Debbie, every time I saw you, Debbie seemed to be around, and Debbie would always come up to me and say, Badgie, I'm going to be a guitarist in your band, right? Me? <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. We just—it's every time we met. I think she's so wonderful, so lovely. Um, I, I just re- remember with great affection that that, that sort of that was a that was a, what I was a drinker. You know, that's a, the same thing. I, I, I going to the bathroom, the toilet. Let's you know to chop yeah. them out was a waste of good drinking. Time. <laughs> Going to the bar was a waste of drinking time. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. I could have three whilst I'm waiting for those two to be poured, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, my entire experience with drugs is just is just peer pressure, I think. I don't yeah. – I did have a good time sometimes, but I think I was there was always a background sense of panic that um, – and also, like, a massive price to pay. I just have – the next three days were just appalling, so – I just think you're either built for it or you're not. That's right. I thought, well, we were always told that, you know, somebody told us that ladies never purchase them. Um, and I thought, oh, that sounds like a good ploy. I don't think I'll ever buy them. If so, if they're around, I maybe indulge, but I'll buy a round of drinks, but no, not the others. What do you mean ladies never purchase them? I don't know. It, it's somebody <laughs> who we, we all know probably said that just to... <laughs> Is that is that is that something that is um, that an etiquette thing or is it just because they're too fucking tight? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's. But I thought I'd adopt that for myself anyway. You know that it's it's okay as long as I don't buy them. Then I know I'm not messed up. You know. So you're like Bill Clinton. You 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 had it, but you didn't inhale, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think Budgie might have inhaled, but yeah couple of times um, oh, yeah i know i could i could go on i do remember a, a wonderful guitarist in a <laughs> it's impossible but it, we thought it was really good fun to be like on all fours inhaling exhaust fumes from in you know, a passing vehicle oh my goodness that's how low how, how low can you go that's like down where the rubber is you know? uh, that's low on so many levels <laughs> isn't it just particle filters were not even invented that's, then that's, that's, that's taken the huffing to a new level right yeah oh blimey it did nothing for us i tell you mind you it's probably for where i when i grew up you know i felt <laughs> at home down there. yeah yeah there you go well um have we covered most of most of the topics you think none we haven't covered any of them <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm. I I can listen. I can talk all fucking night. So you know, you have to just stop me and say that people have shit to do. You know. <laughs> we'll say thank you very much, Mickey. It's been wonderful talking. Yes, it has. Thank you. It's been great.
Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.